0: This time of year is a time of year that has always been highly anticipated for me, um, even since I was a little kid. Um, This month is the month in which I celebrate my birthday. It's a month in which there's family gatherings for holidays events. Christmas is right around the corner, it seems like. And so these were always highly anticipated events that would take place in my life. But as I got older, I began to look forward to other events beyond just those events. I began to look forward to things like graduations and a new job and and getting married, starting a family, being involved in a church beginning, my kids at different seasons of their lives and training for races and other things like that. And I found myself always anticipating what was next. But I think most of us do that. I think we're all honest. Let me ask you now, just take a moment and I want you to think about something you are looking forward to holidays, vacation time, a getaway with your spouse, a road trip, graduation, a break from college, a new job on the horizon, a relationship's beginning, a new season for you or or your spouse, your kids. Raise your hand if you can think of something that you're looking forward to that's coming out. Put your hands up. All right, look around. Most of the room, most of us can think of something that we're looking forward to. It's just kind of the way life works. And as I thought about this, I realized this starts really, really young, doesn't it? I mean, when you think of a preschooler, what are they looking forward to? What are they looking forward to? It's going to come up on the screen. First day of school, right? First day of school. And then when you're in middle school, what are you looking forward to? High school, right? right, You guys are kind of slow to catch on. You can say it out loud when you're thinking about it. All right, when you're in high school, what are you looking forward to? College, graduation. How about the other one? Driving, getting the car keys, right? That's something you look forward to in high school. The high school parents out there are just shaking their heads, you know. But um, what about when you're a young adult? What's something you're looking forward to? One of the next things that might happen, getting married, right? And then when you get married, what are you anticipating? What do we just celebrate? You're looking forward to the birth of a child. And then as you add three or four of them and your life gets crazy and your house gets noisy, what are you waiting for? Them all to move out in the house to get quiet again. And then once the house gets quiet again, what can't you wait for as you get a little bit older, Grandkids, right? So there's always something on the horizon, always something that we're anticipating, always something that we're looking forward to. Some of you are like, John, why did you just flash my light before my eyes in the last 30 seconds there? Um, but the, the reality is that's kind of how life goes. But one of the things I want us to talk about is this morning is enjoying the moment where God has us. Enjoying the moment where God has us. Because if we're always looking forward to the next thing, we sometimes can miss the things that God has for us right now. Now, last week we began our, our new series, and our new series is entitled The Elephant in the Room. The Elephant in the Room. And we began by talking about the subject of sexuality. And we talked about sex is not something that is to be tossed around casually like a football. You ready, Jeremy? So, um, uh, I obviously didn't catch it, but something is not to be tossed around casually. Sex is not something to toss around casually because that's what can happen. That's what can happen. But it's something that God says to us, I want you to treat very gently and very delicately like a special Christmas tree ornament that you're going to hang on the tree in just a couple of months. You know, No, I'm not throwing it to you, Jeremy. No, no chance, no chance. Uh, um, And so we talked about how our culture and our world treats sex like just that football we were throwing around instead of like this delicate treasure like the ornament to hang on the tree. And over these next few weeks, we want to keep looking at this issue. Today we're going to talk about this issue of sex and singleness, and next week, sex and marriage. Then we're going to talk about what does the Bible say about the issue of homosexuality. And in a couple of weeks from now, we're going to talk about confronting the addictive power of pornography. And we're going to get more information to you because we're going to have special sessions on Saturday morning for our guys to talk about this subject. We're also going to have sessions for our parents and our students on Sunday evening to talk about this as well. And we hope you make those those um, upcoming weeks of priority, because we want to tackle this issue. I want to say, what does God say about it, and how do we take what God says about it and live in the world that we're surrounded with right now? I heard of a survey recently that said this. 86% of young men over the age of 21 and 80% of young women in America over the age of 21 have already had sex. 86% 86 of young men, 80% of young women over the age of 21. Why is there such a powerful draw and pull to this in our lives? Well, the reality is that we know, and we talked about this last week, God has not designed us to live alone by ourselves. He's designed for us to live in relationships. And the problem is, is we, when we ignore God's design and the way God has designed this to function, as we talked about last week, it creates damaging, self-focused way of living that treats the thing that is designed to be special and sacred and unique, just like that football that we just tossed around on the stage. This morning we're going to talk about this subject as it relates to those who are single, those who have never been married, and those who are single once again. Uh, This affects 20% of our church community, people who are in those situations in life. But the reality is, as you're going to see based on some statistics I'm going to show you, is that these numbers in the next five to seven years are going to continue to escalate. You say, why is that, John? Because individuals are waiting longer to get married. The marriages are coming to an end at a frightening rate. And so the percent of people that find themselves single will only continue to grow up, to go up. Here's some statistics for you. For the first time in American history, there are more people that are single, 50.2% in a study that was done last year, so that number's probably gone up, than married. First time in American history. You go back to 1976, that may seem like for some of you a lifetime ago, but 1976, you know, some nearly 40 years ago, there was only 30% of our American population was single. Only 30%. So what will that 50.2 number look like in another 25 years? 40% of those individuals use an online dating service. Why is that? They're looking for a relationship. It matters to many of us. There's a variety of situations individuals are single, divorced, separated, widowed, living together. So there's a wide range of people in those situations. This is a fascinating statistic. The majority of Americans will spend more of their life single than they will married. Let me say that again. The majority of Americans will spend more of their life single than married. And as you're going to hear in some interviews that I'm going to do a little bit later, you never know when this is going to change in your life. You don't know what the plans are for your life. You might in your own mind have plans. This is what I'm going to do. And this is when I'm going to finish school and I'm going to find somebody. But that may not be God's plan for it. Or you may have planned that this is what I'm I'm committed in this relationship. We're going to be here for a lifetime. And that may not be what God's plans are for you. But I do know this. And that's you are right where God wants you to be. You are right where God wants you to be. There are actually two kinds of singles, and I want to explain the difference between those two. The first kind of single is this. It's called a vowed celibate. A vowed celibate. You say, what's a vowed celibate, John? Well, this is someone who's chosen to be single out of love and devotion to serve Christ fully with their lives. This is someone who said, I'm not going to be married because I want to serve Jesus with my whole life, and that's what I'm going to commit my life to. This was first introduced by Jesus in the book of Matthew. It's going to come up on the screen, verse 12, Matthew 19, verse 12. Jesus says this, For there are eunuchs who are born that way, eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. You see, a eunuch was not just a castrated person or castrated male, but anyone who chooses not to offer their body sexually to another. And Jesus introduces this idea and says, There are some that are going to live like this for what? The sake of the kingdom of for God, for God. You say, well, so what's the big deal? That didn't happen in the Jewish community, the Jewish culture. They didn't have a word for bachelor in the Hebrew. There's no word for bachelor. Just assume you would get married. That's just what you did. But some individuals said, so that I can devote myself to God, I'm going to choose to not do that. And so in some religious orders, mostly in Roman Catholic and some Orthodox religious orders and churches, there are individuals that have devoted themselves to God and abstain from being involved in marriage and relationship. This is obviously not for everyone, but for some who make this vow. For those that do, it often is a five to seven year discernment process to decide, is this something that God is fully calling me into? The other group of individuals are what are called dedicated celibates dedicated celibates. And these are individuals that choose to practice celibacy or sexual purity as long as you remain unmarried as part of your commitment to Christ. So as long as God has you single or without and not in a married relationship, you will be sexually pure, is what those individuals are. And for me, this is a very short season in my life. Um, There was a five-year window from the time that basically graduated from high school before my wife and I, Christine, were married, that this was true of my life. And so I come to you speaking this morning not out of a lot of experience. I don't have a lot of experience in what I'm talking to you about. I can only share with you based on the limited experience I have and lots of conversations I've had with people who have never been married and who are single once again. I want to read you a story of a woman by the name of Sue that I came across that I thought was pretty powerful. Sue is a a leader and a teacher. She's taught at retreats, provided pastoral care, mentored staff in a church setting, and offered wisdom in her community on many occasions. And this is her story. When I became a Christian at age 17, I just assumed I would eventually marry. But I also knew that the first call of my life was to love God and others. I was to be a lover. So when I was 18, I bought a ring and engraved on it this verse from the Song of Songs. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. It was a reminder that I first belonged to Jesus. I didn't feel called to celibacy for life. I'd hoped to eventually meet someone to spend the rest of my life with. I did have one relationship that was serious, but he felt called to serve God in Africa. I did not, so we went our separate ways. So even though it wasn't initially my plan, I have embraced celibacy. I'm now much older and have have had a full life In my work as a therapist, I've counseled married couples and singles, and I truly feel that I have many children, not biologically, but people I've poured my life into for years. It brings me great joy and satisfaction. I don't feel I have missed anything. In fact, I feel incredibly blessed. Because I've been single, I've been free to pursue many things that otherwise would have been impossible. I'm also under no illusion that marriage cures loneliness. Loneliness is part of being human. It's the invitation to open our hearts more deeply to God. However, that doesn't mean we have to live a solitary life. I lived alone for 10 years, but I made it a point to frequently invite people into my home, both single, married, and families. And for the last number of years, I've shared my life with Bonnie, a friend, and a housemate. Community is a part of our lives, and I believe the church is to be a part of that community. We each have our own lives, and we share things in life together as well. My word is, don't live like you're waiting. Live the most fulfilled, joyful life that you can right now. I think one of the things that Sue does very powerfully in her story is she identifies, uh, she understands loneliness as part of the human condition. She explains her commitment to relationships, even bracing something that God brought into her life that she did not necessarily want or desire. So the question is, what does God say to people in those situations? What does God say to people who are in those situations as dedicated celibates who are going to remain sexually pure but want to live in the way that God calls them to live? If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to 1 Corinthians 7, 1 Corinthians 7, if you don't have a Bible, you can uh, follow along on your phone or um, tablet uh, using version. Our guys also have some Bibles that they're going to pass out and make available to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Bibles that they are passing out is on page 927. 9:27. 9:27. And as you're turning to First Corinthians, let me just tell you a little bit about the book of Corinthians. Now, the book of Corinthians is a letter that Paul, who um, was called an apostle, um, went to various cities in the first century and started churches of people that were followers of Jesus. Then he left those cities and he went back, and he would occasionally hear of things that were going on in these cities, and he would write them letters. And so the city of Corinth, Paul actually wrote four letters to the to the churches in Corinth. We have two of those letters in the Bible. And these letters that he wrote to them were about things that were going on in the city. Some of Paul's letters would be described as more general letters, meaning they gave instructions about following Jesus. Some of Paul's letters were situational letters. He wrote them about a very specific situation that happened in that church. In that day in time. You say, John, what's the, what's the point? Who cares? He just wrote the letter. Well, it's very important to understand this. Because Paul is going to say some things to this situation in the first century. That is never to be repeated again. You say, well, so what? Well, because it's never to re- be repeated again, to do exactly what Paul says to do is to misuse what God's intent in his, is in his word. He wants us to look at these instructions, draw out of that some principles, some concepts that we can incorporate into our lives as we choose to live life. But to try to do exactly what he says in this scenario is going to leave us angry or confused at Paul. And a lot of people have ended there by not paying attention to the fact. So this is a situational letter. You say, what's the situation? We're going to talk about that in just a moment, okay? So if you're there in 1 Corinthians 7, let's begin by looking in verse 17. Paul says this, he says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned him, just as God has called him to. Um, that phrase, called him, is used eight times in these first few verses here. And and Paul's describing what happens in a person's life when God calls them out of darkness, out of living their own life, living for themselves, and calls them into a relationship of following Jesus. And he says to them, he says, I want you to um, accept whatever God has for you. And he goes on in the next few verses to describe two scenarios. He says, I want you to accept. He says, let me illustrate this in two ways. The first one is... He says, let's talk about a subject like circumcision. Why he would use that, but he uses it over and over again. But, um, you know, he says, like, for instance, if you've been circumcised, God doesn't say to you to be uncircumcised. Every guy in the room winces just at the thought of that, you know. Um, He says, you wouldn't do that. That would be crazy. Well, then he switches to one that makes a little more sense, but not really to us in our culture today, and that's slavery. Look what he says in verse 21. He says, were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. He says, If that's where God has you, be okay with it. But then look at what he says. Although, if you can, gain your freedom to do so. You're like, wait a minute, Paul. You just said be okay where you are, and now you say do something about where you are. Very confusing. Very confusing. I think what Paul's doing here is he's describing the way that Jesus invites us to live life. Let me ask you this question. Is it possible if you're struggling financially to be content where you are and do something about your financial dilemmas? Is it possible to do both? It is. Is it possible to be content relationally where you are and to try to do something to change that? It is. It is. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I want you to hold tightly, I want you to hold loosely together, contentment and longing contentment and longing and he says this all throughout this passage he says be okay with God where God has you that's the contentment piece but he says if you can do something about it because your heart longs to be in a different place okay that's the foundation of what he's talking about as he enters this scenario now let's jump down to verse 25 he says now about virgins I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. Now, when it says now about virgins, our assumption would be this is someone who's not been involved sexually. Well, in that culture, if you are a virgin, it was assumed you were unmarried. It was just assumed. That's the way it works. So he's really talking about marital status. So he's talking to anybody not married. That's really who he's talking about. But look at this next phrase. He says, I have no command from the Lord. You're like, what? What? He says, but I give a judgment as one who I think is a credible person to speak. Now, this week and next week, we're going to look at two places in this chapter where Paul says, this is not from God. Okay, this is not a command of God. This is not a thus saith the Lord. This is my opinion as the Apostle Paul. And I think I'm a pretty credible speaker on this matter like wait a minute i i thought the bible's from god and and he spoke through people and it it is this is the only two places i know of in the bible where this shows up where paul says this is not a command so don't take this as the gospel truth but this is my opinion and i think i can speak on some credible ground okay so again understanding the situation that paul's in And what he's writing to. Well, then he goes and begins to tell us a little bit about that in verse 26. He says, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. So now you're thinking, present crisis. Hmm, what's the present crisis? Unfortunately, we don't know. Which may be a good thing. What could it be? Well, we know that there was a time in the book of Acts where there was a famine in Jerusalem. And so other churches collected food. And was it a famine? Was it a food crisis? Could be. We also know that this is the time that the Roman government was in authority. And that there were times there were Roman rulers who were not very favorable to people of faith. If you know a little bit about world history, you know that shortly after this time, there was a Roman ruler by the name of Nero who hated Christians. There's stories told of him taking Christians putting them in cases of some kind, filling those things with oil and lighting them, as, lighting them on fire as lamps on the street. That's how much he hated them and wanted to torture them. Is that a crisis? I think that would qualify as a crisis. Um, is there another kind of crisis? Maybe there was a threat of another political power coming to take over. And in those days, when a political power took over, it was kind of like ISIS taking over. I mean heads were rolling literally and people were dying everywhere. We don't know what the crisis was. You can go back and do more research if you want to historically, but these are just some speculations. Whatever the crisis was, it was kind of it was life or death. I mean, if you lived in Aleppo, Syria right now, it probably would not be a good idea to try to have a wedding ceremony there. It wouldn't be a good idea. You might say to your bride, no, I love you, I would love to get married, but let's kind of wait till we get on the other side of this, you know, for fear that the wedding might get bombed and everybody die in an instant. You know, who knows? And, and so he's saying there's something coming. There's something on the horizon. I don't quite know what it is, but because of that, whatever your situation, wherever God has you, stay put. Stay put. Remember, situational letter. Situational letter. Okay? So he goes on to describe this a little bit more in verses 32 to 35. We're going to jump around a little bit this morning. So look down at verse 32. He describes what's staying put. He, he describes why he says that what he's going to, this is going to make sense in just a moment. He says, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, but how can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can he please his wife? And his interests are divided. An unmarried man or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affair. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can she please her husband? You say, why is Paul telling them to stay put and not change their situation? Well, he's saying that to them because he says there's just a fundamental difference between being single and married. There's a fundamental difference. One, you have less responsibilities and more focus on the things of God, and the other, you have more responsibilities. It's just a fundamental difference. It's always fascinating for Christine and I, who do a lot of premarital counseling and weddings, and, and, and every couple that comes to be married, they always tell us that they really know one another, and, and um, they're looking forward to marriage, and they, and they believe that they have a good idea of what married life is going to be like. And then we talk to them three months later, and they're like, I were like, hey, how's it going? They're like, well, it's a little different than we thought it was going to be. You know, There's a whole host of things they had no idea were going to show up in their lives until after they said, I do, and committed to live together. A whole host of things. And Paul basically says that you have more responsibilities, more things that divide your attention when you are married than when you are not. And that's why he says in verse 35, I'm saying this for your good, not to restrict you, but that you might live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. You know, some of you might be thinking, it seems like Paul's trying to tip the scales. He's trying to push people away from getting married to stay single. Say, was Paul married? Don't really know. Some speculation is that he was married and maybe he lost his wife in childbirth, which is very common in that day. Some scholars suggest that he was never married. We don't really know what Paul's situation is. But go back to verse 27, and let's continue to see what else he has. So he's going back to staying where you are. He says, are you pledged a woman? Don't seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned but those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you from this. Now, again, if I usually don't use that phrase at the wedding ceremony, those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Kind of leave that one out. Let them figure that one out on their own. Um, but what's Paul saying here? Paul's saying, he says, I want you to stay where you are. Because of this trouble that's coming, I want you to stay where you are. So if you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. That's what I want you to do. And then look what he says in verse 29. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. So again, he's saying there's something coming on the horizon. There's something troubling coming, some kind of imminent danger that seems to be there. And then look what he says in these next few verses. He says, from now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they do not. Those who are happy as if they are not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use things of the world as if not engrossed in them. He then kind of runs through this grocery list of all of these things. He says, marriage and mourning and happiness and buying things and using things. He says, "Um, don't get caught up in that stuff. Don't get caught up in that stuff. Remember, Paul says, I want you to stay where you are. There's trouble coming. Be content where you are. And don't get caught up in all of these other things. Now, again, remember I said this is a situational letter written to a specific scenario. And so it could be real easy for someone who's in a marriage that's struggling to say, well, Paul says if we can go back a couple verses, go back to verse there, Paul says, from now on, those who have wives should live as if they knew. That's what the mantra I'm adopting. I'm buying that line from Paul, you know. I'm going to live the single's life. I'm going to go bar. I'm going to do whatever because I'm just tired of this. No, that's not Paul speaking to a specific situation. And he's saying to these people, there's a lot of things that will divide your attention, that will consume your life. But they're not the most important things. They're not the most important things. And he doesn't want them to lose sight of what those are. Look what he says in the second half of verse 31. For this world in its present form is passing away. Some have suggested that maybe what Paul is talking about, this trouble that's coming, is just the reality that life in this world as we know it, at some point in time, will end. And there's another whole realm called eternity. That won't last forever. And the Bible describes our life here on this earth compared to eternity as like a little blip. And then there's eternity. But for us, our lives become consumed with everything that is right now. And Paul's constantly trying to challenge us to be content where you are. Look forward to what God has. But remember, this is just a little blip. And make sure you're living your life in this little blip for what's going to come for eternity. So you say, was Paul in favor of marriage or not in favor of marriage? Hard to know. We're going to see a little bit on the marriage side next week. Was Paul trying to push people towards being single? Kind of feels a little bit like that. You say, why would Paul do that? Simply because he knows that people who are single often, especially before being married, without kids, are able to have more of a solely undivided focus on God and on serving Him. He goes on in verse 36 to finish his thoughts. He said, if anyone's worried that he might not be acting honorably to the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. Paul says, if you're engaged and you want to get married and they want to get married, then just get married. Don't wait on that. No need to wait on that. No need to end that. But then he goes on in verse 37. If a man who's settled in the matter in his own mind, who's under no compulsion, but has control over his own will and has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. Paul says, if you are okay with where you are, Either you having never been married or being single again. If you are at the place where you are okay where you are, Paul says, live there. Live there. He closes in verse 39 by saying, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If the husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but you must belong to the Lord. Really speaking of what happens if you would lose a spouse to death, the opportunity to either be remarried or to stay where you are. Again, these are Paul's judgments about a specific situation. And so what are some principles that we can take out of that that can guide our lives? Well, I think if you are currently single and have a desire to be married, pursue this. Pursue it. Paul's not saying that you should want to and be okay with never marrying. Paul recognizes some people will, some people won't. He say, how do I know if I should pursue a relationship or I shouldn't pursue a relationship? What do you want? What do you want? Follow God, serve Him, and then be honest about what you want. He then says, if you're currently single and God has not given you desire to be married, maybe you're at this season of your life. Maybe you've come out of a relationship where there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of heartache, and the last thing you want to do is enter another relationship Pursue God and serve Him fully. Pursue God and serve Him fully. You don't have to re enter a relationship right away or if, or, or if at all. If you're dating and you're in a relationship, I want to challenge you to do this. Ask people that you know, trusted friends, how do you think this relationship will enhance, will affect my relationship with God? Does my being with this person seem to move me towards wanting to follow God more? Or does it distract me from following God? Does it move me to following God more because I'm with this person? Or does it distract me? Because I guarantee you, if being with this person distracts you from following God, if being with this person keeps you from spending time with God, if being with this person keeps you from serving God, keeps you from worshiping, when you get married it's going to get 10 times worse. Guaranteed. i bet money on it. It's only going to get worse, not better. So ask yourself, if you are in a dating relationship, hard questions. I know this is difficult because your heart might be wrapped around that person's heart and you might feel deeply, deeply connected. But anything that's a small, eh, not sure about that, When you're dating or engaged, when you get married, multiply it times 10. Lastly, if you are currently married, look at your life. Look at your relationships. Is pursuing God a priority for you? Is serving God a priority for you? Recognizing that, like Paul said, it's going to be a bigger challenge, especially when God adds children to your life and they are up in the middle of the night and they are demanding something of you all the time and they want your time and attention as soon as you come in the door, the moment, you know, nonstop, is it going to be harder? Yes. Yes. But are you paying attention to the most important relationship in your life regardless of whether you're single or married? So some words to those of you who are single. If you're single, um, be devoted to Jesus. Make pursuing Him your highest goal. Um, And look for opportunities to serve. How has God uniquely designed you? What are the ways He wants you to serve? Third, live life in community. Um, Relationships are your design for relationships. Pursue relationships in the ways that God is not design you for them. Number four, practice delight. Do the things in life you enjoy. I've listed some of them up there. And lastly, hold in balance a longing and contentment where you're at. A longing and contentment where you're at. I want to say a word to those of you who are married because you might have said, well, this is good for somebody else. It doesn't really apply to me. But I think there are some things for you this morning as well. Because I hope this morning, as you've sat and listened to what Paul's instructions are, for those that are single, that you've thought, hmm, is that true of me, even though I'm married? Is pursuing Jesus what matters most to you? Is that something that you have as a high priority? And what about serving others? Recognizing it's going to be difficult, it's going to be more challenging, especially as your responsibilities in life increase. Have you carved out a way for you to give of yourself to serve other people? Number three, invite singles to participate in life with you and your family. Um, I hope that this message this morning has opened your eyes to recognize that there are all around you people who are living life on their own. I hope you recognize that. Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone who sits in front of you in a row here at CCC. And I hope you recognize that they are facing a different set of challenges than you are facing. And um, they would love for you to invite them in to be a part of your life in some way. And then lastly, number four, be able to celebrate singleness and marriage as seasons that God brings into your life. Um, There's really not, and I hope you get the sense from Paul, there's really not a this-is-better-this-is-worse scenario. Honestly, if you say, why do you, why is Paul tipping the scales? I think I can tell you why I think Paul's tipping the scales. Because he knows that if you're single, you could be more devoted to Jesus, and he'd love to get as many people more devoted to Jesus as he possibly could. And so he's absolutely going to invite more people to say, you know, why don't you consider my option here? Why don't you consider my option? But I think both of these are unique seasons of life, that God might have you in. And I hope that even if you're married, you can celebrate the season of singleness that God might have others in. I've invited a couple of friends here to join me on the stage to talk about their journey and the seasons of life that they have gone through uh, with singleness. And so um, Greg Bowl and Mara Lees are here to share a little bit of their journey this morning with you. And so I'm going to start with Greg. Um, Greg, tell us a little bit. Um, after high school, um, how long were you single before you were married? Um, 11 years. And then how long have you been married? 11 years. Okay, so you can weigh these things yes. real carefully. <laughs> yeah. Weigh your words carefully, buddy. So, um, is your wife still here? No, she's not. She's oh, not. She in the first okay, series, okay. So. Can't tell Beth what happens this morning. So, um, so tell us a little bit, what, was, um, what were some of the challenges that you faced, or the biggest challenge you faced during those years of being single?
1: Um, well... Basically, I expected um, from junior high one, I expected um, I'd probably meet my wife in high school or college and we would get married, hopefully even in college. I wouldn't have to wait till the, uh, being be graduate from college. Um, but I didn't, didn't meet Beth until I was twenty nine. So there was a little bit of a gap in my expectations and what happened. So,
0: yeah, gap between expectations yeah. and reality. So um, what surprised you as you had a desire to, you know, we talked about that dedicated celibacy. What surprised you as you began to interact with other women even christian women in this arena
1: yeah i i was surprised i felt like i was more committed than most of the people that i was dating and I, that was a struggle that was a surprise and
0: a struggle committed to celibacy yes, and and exactly, being yeah. sexually pure so um so after you got married um tell us something that how marriage um there's a that commitment there were some things that got easier tell us what those were
1: um i did i do like being married i just i almost said i did uh, I do like being married. Um, I enjoy the companionship. I'm, I'm married to my best friend. I love, um, doing, I love being a parent. I love being a husband. I love doing life, um, with my uh, best friend and partner. So that was what I expected. Um, but
0: go ahead. What was harder?
1: Uh, hard, harder. Um, because we got married at 30, um, it was, it was a, our first year was our toughest year. We were kind of set in our ways and we both were uh, pretty, pretty focused on our career. And, uh, so, so that was uh, that was a little challenge first year.
0: And both a little stubborn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, probably. well, how about this, Greg? Because I know one of the things strong-willed. That, strong-willed. Okay, that's a nicer way to put it. Um, one of the things I know about you and those that have known you here is you've always had a desire to serve. Um, and so, how did being married? How did, what did you have to adjust yeah, to I, in that arena?
1: I I really I enjoyed serving. I I was able to serve more. Without conflict, um when I was single and after I got married, um, serving became harder there was there was some conflict, there was sacrifice to serving, there was a little bit more sacrifice,
0: yeah, and so I know in talking with you that you have a desire to, but now you have, as Paul said, you have other priorities in your life that have to limit that so um lastly, what would you say to uh, any of our single adults who um, maybe maybe they're in high school. Maybe they're in college. They have a desire just like you. Uh, what would you say to them um, this morning, based on looking back on your experience?
1: Well, I had I had great mentors. So I um, and many here, um, all through life, um, pa- um, other pastors and and um, um, youth leaders and parents and um, and I would say that I had a lot of great advice about praying for my future spouse. And I prayed for Beth um, since I was in junior high, um, and God answered those prayers. Um, but the other thing I got was really good advice from from many people, including John, um, was that instead of focusing on the person that you want to marry and what they should be, focus really hard on you being a good spouse. Um, develop that. Maybe that's what happened. I needed a lot longer to develop uh, <laughs> that area, but uh, but I really worked hard at developing me being the kind of person that um, yeah. would be a good fit for Beth.
0: Yeah, thanks, Greg, for sharing that advice. So we pass the microphone over to Mara. So uh, Mara, tell us a little bit about your situation. How long were you married, and kind of would describe your situation now? So
2: okay, first, wow, there's a lot more people than last service. <sighs> so I'm really going to use my cheat notes. Um, I am currently single. I got married shortly after my 21st birthday and was married just shy of 20 years. Um, I was married. I've been divorced now about three and a half years, and um, I'm raising three children pretty much on my own, ages 16, 17, 16, and 8.
0: Okay. All right. That's a huge challenge. Huge challenge. Um, tell us what was one of the things that was difficult for you um, about being single again.
2: Probably the hardest thing for me personally about being single is knowing that at the end of the day, I don't have that person to just be with, um, to have that person to laugh or cry with over the daily trials and triumphs that I had or he had.
0: So just kind of a little bit of that loneliness of not having someone to share life with you has been one of the biggest things that's challenging. So um, let's talk about different scenarios that people might be in. So what would you say to someone who's, maybe kind of feeling anxious, you know, they feel like the clock's ticking, they're not married, you know, and they're not in a relationship, and and they're feeling somewhat incomplete, like, you know, I'm I'm anxious for this next step. What would you say to someone in that situation?
2: Well, one of my favorite posts I've seen on Facebook, because I am a major Facebook junkie, is most people are together just so they are not alone. Some people want magic. I am one of those people. That magic is different for everyone, and you just need to... Find what your magic is, and don't lose sight on that. Take your time and really listen to your heart and what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, and definitely use this time to grow yourself into a stronger person, both, both emotionally and spiritually.
0: Yeah, because it sounds like sometimes people pursue those relationships either out of a sense of expectation or a, almost to resolve something inside of them that doesn't get resolved. Exactly. You know, we talk in, uh, to couples in premarital counseling, we talk about the myths of marriage. And one of the myths we talk about is that my life will get better and all of my problems will go away. And, and we realize very quickly that that doesn't, that doesn't happen. So what about someone who is single, again, kind of the scenario that you're in, and they really do have a desire to get back into a relationship? What would you say to someone who's in that place in life?
2: Pretty much the same thing. Listen to your heart. Really listen to where the Holy Spirit is leading you. Um, because God's given you a second lease on life, and use it. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. How would you say um, God was with you during this um, time in your life of transitioning back into being single again?
2: Um, well, first and probably most important, God has never left me. He's always been there with me. He's heard my cries. He's wiped away my tears, which I had many of. Um, he's lifted me up, and he has carried me to where I have needed to go, when my emotional and my physical weakness has overtaken me. Um, also, my I had a go-to verse, but well, I still have the go-to verse that I've held tight to and very close to my heart, and it's Jeremiah twenty-nine, eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future.
0: That's some really powerful things, Mar. You talk about God's presence and being with you even through the ups and downs of that transition. And also the hope for the future, regardless of what that is, you know, that you have this kind of settled confidence that um, God's got something for you, regardless of whether got it's at my back. You know what you want or maybe it's something different. So um, lastly, what would you say to the couples in our church on behalf of those who are single again? what could they what can they do?
2: Well, let me start by saying that being single again was not even a thought that ever crossed my mind. Um, I took my marriage vows very seriously. Um, and I didn't believe in divorce at all, except for where biblically it's acceptable. So it was really, really hard on me to work through this. And whether you're single by choice or not, or whether you're in a couple's relationship, that if you're a couple, remember that even us single people, that we are all still alike. We are children, God's children. Um, we are all daily survivors of this thing called life. And we are all right where God wants us to be right now.
0: I think you shared with me before that you had had a couple just recently who you were at an event together, and they just invited you afterward just to come and hang out with them, and how meaningful that was, just to have some adult interaction, you know, especially at the season, raising teenagers and, you know, uh, an elementary school child as well. So um, would you guys thank Greg and Mara for sharing some of their stories? So thank you, guys. Hey, give me a hug. Thanks, Mara. You know, I I hope this morning you walk away um, with a couple different things. Um, If you're married, I hope you walk away challenged about what matters most in your life. And that God will expand your perspective to see other people and where they are. And um, find a way to move towards them, invite them into your circle, and just learn to love them right where they are. If you um, if you are single this morning, I hope that this message gives you a sense of hope, that regardless of where you're at, even if where you're at is where you don't want to be, you long for something different, that God has a plan for you, and that He hasn't given up on you, and that there's something He's going to do. And, and you have no way of knowing what that's going to be. We're going to close with a song, and I just want to invite you to listen to this song and um, Make this song a prayer of yours as we wrap up this morning.